helps when you have the sermon in front of you. All right. Well, good morning once again. Thank you guys for coming. Thanks for being here. How about this weather, man? It feels like springtime out there. Love it. Love it. That's so good. Um, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, we uh, we got a, a lot to get through here this morning. We have, um, as we are in our how we got here series as we're walking through the story of the Bible, how God is redeeming his people. This morning we get to one of the most, arguably one of the most influential people to ever live. Like outside of Bible, just people to live. Like outside of Jesus, this guy is probably, probably next as far as influence in the world. Um, we're going to be looking at the story of Abraham. His life is so big, so important, so influential, it's actually going to take us a little bit of time to get there. My get shakes. Okay, we're good? Okay. Um, it's going to take us a little bit of time to get through his whole story. He is one of the most influential people uh, to ever live. Christianity, Islam, Judaism. Three of the major religions of the world. Three of the most influential religions of the world. All three of them trace their roots, trace their history back to Abraham. All three of them see Abraham as the central figure. Even when you get into Matthew, when you look at the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, the genealogy starts with Abraham. He didn't start with Noah. He didn't start with Adam and Eve. He starts with Abraham because Abraham is that influential. He is the beginning of everything. He is the beginning of this organized where God is calling a people. He is redeeming a people. Abraham was known as a friend of God. People called him the friend of God. In James 2.23, it refers to Abraham as the friend of God. It says, Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. God himself called Abraham his friend. In Isaiah 41.8, it says, I have chosen the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Abraham was vital. He was important to God. He had a relationship with God. But before any of this, before the acclaim, before the recognition, before starting religions, before being the guy, he was just a guy. He was a guy with flaws. A guy who, even though he knew God was good, even though he saw God move in his life, didn't always trust God. Let fear overrun his life. A guy who at times only thought of himself. He was just a human. He wasn't even Abraham. The story we're going to look at today, we're going to look at Abram. That's what he was born as. That's his given name. And he is, much like many of us this morning, a work in progress. That's who we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 this morning. But we're going to jump around. So grab your Bibles. We're going to do some jumping around this morning. Um, so you're going to want to have those in front of you. So Genesis 12, and then uh, the words will be on the screen, but like I said, we're hopping around a lot, and I want you to see this in front of you. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, uh, God, you are good. Um, God, we thank you for these opportunities. We thank you for these times to get together and to worship and to sing and to just be together, God, to laugh and enjoy our time together, God. We thank you that you have made fun, that you are the creator of fun, and you gave us the ability to enjoy this life. Um, God, as we gather together this morning, there are those in our congregation, there are those that are part of the CF family who are hurting physically and mentally and emotionally, God. We got some... We got some some stuff going on here, Dad. Um, God, I pray for, uh, there's a lot of healing that needs to happen. 
in this place. Um, God, we have members in the hospitals. We have members recovering from things. We have members just in constant care with doctors. God, we have members that are um, members with their kids. We have um, the Carlson family with, with Oakley uh, still struggling. God, we have people, uh, and you know them. You know all of these people. You know all of these physical things that we are struggling with. And God, you are the great doctor. You are the one who put everything together. You are the one who keeps everything moving. And God, we pray that you step into these situations. You step in for these people who are recovering, for these people who are struggling, God. We pray for comfort. We pray for healing. And we pray, um, God, that you move and move in mighty ways in those places, God. Lord, this morning as we enter into your word, as we read about uh, your son, Abram, as we read about his life and the times where he questions you, where he gets lost and caught up in the situation, God, we pray that we learn from him uh, and that we are encouraged by him. God, we thank you for who you are, what you have done through CF, and what you continue to do. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, right at the beginning, right at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor those. I will dishonor you, sorry, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went to the Lord and told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the, Canaanite, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So what do we know about Abram? What do we know? If you look at chapter 11, you have the generations of Noah following Noah's life. And we know that Abram is ten generations after Noah. Ten generations have passed since Noah, since the last time, right? And we, when we looked at Noah last week, we saw God spoke to Noah. God had a relationship with Noah. And as far as we know, as far as what's recorded in the Bible, we don't see that kind of relationship. We don't see God speak in that way again for ten generations until he speaks to Abraham. Since that time, since the last time we have it recorded, God has not broken in in that way, had that personal connection with someone until Abram. We know that Abram is married, his wife named Sarai, and we actually learn in chapter 11, Sarai is pregnant, or not pregnant, Sarai is not able to have kids. She is unable to become pregnant. Um, We also learn that Sarai is his half-sister. Sarai is his half-sister. We learn that later on in Genesis that they have the same dad, different mom. That's going to play in the story we look at this morning. It also mentions a guy named Lot. Lot is Abram's nephew. Abram's brother passes away, and after his brother passes away, Abram takes Lot into his family, and it's almost like he is um, his son, 
there's a, there's a relationship there. They're like brothers later on. It's a weird son-brother-nephew thing going on between Abram and Lot. Uh, but we know Lot is very close to Abram. So we know that he's got family. He's got a, a life. He's got people that are, he's responsible for. He's just a guy, just living, just being. And God breaks in and calls to Abram. He says, Abram, I want you to leave the land of Ur, the place where you live, the place where you call home. I want you to leave there. I want you to go to a place where I tell you, I want you, Abram, take a walk, and I'll tell you when to stop. Now, the city of Ur, the city that God is calling Abram out of, is a city that is known for lots of things. It is, as far as, in Genesis 12, as urban as you can be. It's got business, it's got culture, it's got a lot of things going on. One of the things that defined that city was worshiping multiple gods. It was a place where you worshiped the god of nature, you worshiped the god of um, the trees, you worshiped the god of where the god that took care of your crops, all of these different things. It was a place where you worshiped many different gods. And God says, Abram, that's not what I have for you. That is not the way to do this. That's not the way that you should be in a relationship. God, God calls Abram out of that. He says, Abram, I want you to get out of there. Get out of that place that has this negative influence and go to a place that I tell you. Go to a place where you can enter into a relationship with me and me alone. I want to separate you. I want to show that you are different. I want to have a relationship with you. God also makes promises to Abram, right? We saw a couple of different promises he makes. He says, Abram, I want you to leave. And when you leave, when you get to where I, this place that I have set up for you, I promise I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take you. There's actually a map. I got a map of what this journey actually looked like. So we got Ur of the Chaldeans down here on your right-hand side. That is where Abram gets called by God. And then Abram travels up to Haran. We saw that, right? He's in Haran for a while until his father passes away. And it's after he leaves Haran that he finally continues on his journey. He's 75 years old when he leaves Haran. And from Haran, he goes down to Shechem, to Bethel, near Jerusalem, what will be Jerusalem, down into the land of Canaan. So this is basically the trip that Abram takes. When God says, Abram, take a walk. I'll tell you when to stop. You just go and trust that I'm going to provide for you. That's basically the trip that Abram takes. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation, Abram. You're going to have descendants. Because of you, you are going to be a blessing to other people. You are going to bless others. Because of you, your influence is going to affect millions. I'm going to make you a blessing to others. You will have this positive impact. And so Abraham goes. Abram goes and takes a walk. He takes his family, he takes all his stuff, and he goes to this place God shows him. He goes, and when he gets there, when he gets to the land of Canaan, God says, stop. This right here, what you see, this is yours. This is your descendants. This is what I have set aside for you. And how does Abram respond? He responds by building an altar at the side of that oak tree in Morah. Abram gets, this, gets God speaking into his life. He has this relationship with God. And Abram stops and he builds an altar. 
we'll see as we walk through this series that building an altar was something that was a pretty common practice back then. It was when God did something special, when God broke in, when God spoke, when God delivered his people, these moments where God steps in, it was customary you would build an altar. You would build something, and then when you would come back there, when your generations came back there, they would see that altar and say, God moved in this place. God broke in and did something amazing here. And so Abram builds an altar to God. God speaks. Abraham worships God. Abram goes farther. He takes a walk. He wants to see this land that God has set up for him. He goes farther and he sets up his camp. And again, he builds his tent. He has his people set and he builds an altar. And it says he calls upon the name of the Lord. He vocally, he worships, he audibly worships God. Abram and God are in sync. God is speaking. Abram is responding. God is blessing. Abram is obeying. There is this beautiful relationship here. And you see, it's God doing all the initiating. Just like it was with Noah, it's the same way. God calls to Abram. God tells Abram to move. Abram does. It's God saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of your descendants. Abram is just responding. And things are good between them. Things are moving. Everything is great. What could possibly go wrong? Ay, ay, ay. Let's look at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So a famine hits the land. God says, Abram, I want you to go to this place. I want you to go to Canaan. Be there. Dwell. This is yours. I have given this to you and your descendants. So Abram goes and he establishes himself. And a famine hits. So Abram says, well, we got to get out of here. And he goes to Egypt. Did God tell him to go to Egypt? Nope. God didn't tell Abram. To be fair, God also didn't say, Abram, you have to go to Canaan and you have to stay there forever. This is the place you're only allowed to be here. He doesn't say that. But what God did say was, Abram, this is yours. This is for you. This is for your descendants. God told him, this is the land I've set aside for you. I have plans for you, Abram. So you've got to think, why would God call him there? If only shortly after that, a famine's going to hit and wipe them all out, right? God promised Abram, I'm going to give you descendants. At this point, Abram has no kids. So he's got to say, well, God promised me descendants. I don't have any yet. So even with this famine, it can't be that bad. God's got to have a plan. Because if this famine was going to destroy Abram, you've got to figure God was going to step in and save him and provide for him. But Abram apparently didn't think that way. Abram decides on his own to go to Egypt. He didn't trust that God was going to take care of him. He didn't trust that God was going to provide for him in this land that he set aside for Abram and his descendants. And just like we, we talked about when we looked at the fall, right? And we said, how could Adam and Eve be so stupid to make this decision? How could they possibly bite into that fruit when they had this relationship with God? 
How could they possibly have gone against God? Right? And the same thing here. We laugh and we think, Abram, you had the faith to walk something like 1,500 miles. You left the place that you grew up. You left this beautiful city. You left this place that had culture and had jobs. And you went to the middle of nowhere, Canaan. How could you possibly not trust God? How could you possibly not trust God after he shows up and he speaks to you? Why is it that we don't trust God when he shows up and he speaks to us? Over and over, we make the same decisions. We make the same poor choices. And it never works out well, does it? Those times where we think, man, we know better. I know better than God. God, I know what you're saying. I know what you want me to do, but I think you're not really taking in the whole situation. So I'm going to do it my way. And I hope that you bless it. Doesn't usually work out very well. So not only does Abram decide, okay, we're going to go wait. We're going to go to Egypt. We're going to get away from the famine. We're going to, get, we're going to be safe. Not only does he decide he knows best, but now, real quickly, he has to lie to survive. Real just piece of advice here. If you make a decision, whatever that decision may be, and quickly after making said important decision, you have to lie or do something kind of shady just to make it be okay, you have made the wrong decision. You have messed up. So he says to his wife, Sarah, you're beautiful. You're, you're gorgeous, and they're going to see that. And if they think I'm your husband, which I am, they're just going to kill me and take you for themselves. But if we're siblings, they might not kill me. They might still take you, but at least then I can work on a plan. I can try and like get you free. So just tell them you're my sister, which, again, it's actually kind of a half-truth, right? They are half-siblings, as if that makes this plan any better. But he says, okay, well, just tell them that, and, and I'll work on a plan, and, and we'll, we'll take care of it. So they get into Egypt, and exactly what Abram thinks is going to happen, happens. They get in there, the people take a look at Sarai, who is beautiful, and the princes tell Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sends his guards, and they capture Sarai. They take her as one of his wives. And in response, Abram is given all kinds of cattle, all kinds of livestock. Abram is compensated. He takes payment for his wife. He allows his wife to be taken as one of Pharaoh's captives. And he is given money, given currency, basically, for that. God, what are you doing here? Right? This is one of those times where you've got to read this. If you read this and you're not a Christian, you've got to read that story and be like, what is, he do what is God doing? How could he possibly let this happen? Abram doesn't trust God is going to provide. He leaves the place God has set aside. He lies about his relationship with Sarai. He lets her get taken, and then Abram prospers from it. He is given all kinds of value for his wife. How is that okay? Where is God in this? Where is he doing? But God does step in. God does have a plan. And if you read in verses 17 through 20, God steps in here, and he actually sends plagues upon Pharaoh. We're not totally sure what kind of plagues they are, or how many, but he sends plagues to Pharaoh. And God delivers some justice. 
Right? We see, we've seen God. We saw it in the fall. We saw it with Noah. God is a God of justice. So he delivers some justice. And we've got to be thinking, okay, Abram's going to get his. How could he possibly let his wife get taken captive? He lied about it. Abram's going to be in trouble here. But God delivers justice, but it's not to Abraham. The guy who knows better, Abram, doesn't get in trouble here. It's Pharaoh. Pharaoh gets attacked with the plagues. And so Pharaoh calls Abram, and he rebukes Abram. He challenges Abram, basically questions the kind of man that Abram is. I mean, think about that for a second. This man, Pharaoh, worships all kinds of gods. He worships the god of the moon, the god of the sun, the god of the water. He himself, in that culture, believed that he was a god. If you were Pharaoh, Pharaohs believed, and the people believed, you were a god. This guy still says to Abram, what are you doing? How could you possibly let this happen to your wife? Even he is able to rebuke Abram for his decision. Even he knows better than to let this happen. So why in the world would Abram act this way? Why would he let these things happen? Let's think about it for a second. Before he goes to Egypt, before he goes to Egypt, when he is in relationship with God, right? He's in communion with God. He's obeying. He's worshiping. He's building altars. He's spending time calling on the name of the Lord. He has this good connection with God, right? He goes to Egypt. Look over that passage where he's in Egypt. At no point does it talk about him seeking after God. There's no mention of Abram worshiping or building altars. Abram is doing whatever he wants and whatever he can to survive. You see, when we stop trusting God, when we let fear take over our lives, when we stop listening to God and we let fear be the one speaking, we don't hear anything else. And the more that we allow fear and doubt to speak, the louder that voice gets and the harder it is to hear God. Abram has stopped listening to God. He has stopped trying to listen to God and is only letting his fear and doubt speak into him. Have you ever gotten there? Have you ever gotten to that place in your life where you felt like you know better than God? God, you clearly aren't paying attention to this situation. I'm going to take control. Have you ever gotten to that point where you stopped trusting that God was in control, where you let fear and doubt rule in you? It's hard. It's hard to break that cycle. Because like I said, the more you let fear and doubt take over, the more control you let it have, the more out of control everything around you gets. So how do we break this cycle? How do we possibly break from this grasp? How do we start trusting God again when we let fear and doubt take over and we stop listening to God? How do we stop that crazy cycle and get out of it? Step one is real easy. It's just show up. Just show up. I want you to look, go to chapter 13, and I want you to look in verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot was with him, into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, because he sold his wife. I'm a little bummed by that. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. 
to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there, Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Abram takes the gifts, he takes the blessing that he was given in Egypt, and he goes back. He goes back to the place he met God, to the place where he worshipped, to the place where he said, I know God moves. I've seen God move. I trust that God moves. I'm going to go back to that place. He went back to the altar he had built, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He worships audibly the name of the Lord. When we are in chaos, when we find ourselves not trusting, not believing, not doing the things we're supposed to be doing, running scared, we got to go back to God's presence. we got to go back to Him. For some of you, you have a tangible place. If you have a tangible place, like a place in your house set aside where you do your devotions, if you have a, a place in the city, somewhere that's that, that set-apart place for you, that place where you know, I can hear from God. I have moments where I, I have felt God's presence. I have felt God's love. If you have that place, that's awesome. That's the place to go to. That's the place to connect. If you don't have that place, that's okay too. Because thankfully, if you are a Christian, you can enter into God's presence at any time, in any place. Christians have the ability as God's children to call on him wherever and whenever, and he will show up, he will be there. So after this happens, after Abram gets himself back to something stable in his life again, He is back in the place where God has called him to be. Him and Lot split up. They end up having to split up because now Abram was so much extra livestock, there's not enough for what he has and what Lot and his family have, and basically the animals can't survive on the land that they're all living in. So Abram says, Lot, you go wherever you want. You camp out somewhere. I'm going to camp out somewhere else. We've got to let ourselves survive. And Lot ends up picking a really poor decision, and he goes to Sodom. And it's actually a really cool, if you want to read chapter 14 in Genesis, it's a really cool story. Abram actually has to go and save his nephew because he gets caught in a war in the midst of like crossfire. It's crazy. It's awesome. The Bible is full of action. Um, Genesis 14, check it out. It's really good. We don't have time to read it this morning, so we're going to press on. We're going to go to chapter 15. I want you to read chapter 15, verse 1 with me. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man should not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall be your offspring. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God again reaches out to Abram. It has nothing to do with Abram. It has nothing to do with what he's done. God reaches out to Abram and he says, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I am going to take care of you. He is having this audible conversation with God. And still, and God is saying, Abram, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. And Abram's response is, yeah, but I don't have any kids. How are you going to bless me if I don't have any kids? Which is a valid concern on his part, because in that day, if you weren't able to have kids, if you didn't have descendants, you were cursed. 
You were seen as cursed that God hated you. And so Abram says, God, you keep telling me about these blessings. You keep telling me you're going to take care of me, but you haven't actually given me any kids. And now somebody in my house, which was customary if you didn't have descendants, your stuff had to go to someone. One of my servants is going to get all of my stuff. One of my servants is going to get this land because you haven't given me any kids. Abram, are you kidding me? God is promising blessings. So God takes Abram and he says, all right, fine. Here, I'm going to show you something. And he takes him outside. And this doesn't really play as well for us in Chicago in 2016 because we only have like six stars in the sky at night. But in places without the light pollution, apparently there are stars. And so the sky is full of stars. And God says, Abram, if you can count them, that is how many descendants you are going to have. That is how much offspring I'm going to give you, generation on generation on generation, multitudes. And he does that, and he shows him this picture. And it says in verse 6, he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Abram believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abram believed God. He trusted God. And because of that, he was seen by God as righteous. We saw the same kind of phrasing with Noah last week that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, and, he was, and because of that, he was counted as righteous. Because of Abram's belief, because of his faith that God is going to do what he promised, he was counted as righteous. Another way we call that is he was, made, he was justified. He was made right. He was made whole. He was made good. He was made something right to be justified by his faith in God. Because of his belief that God would do what he said, Abram had righteousness. That right there is the gospel, isn't it? It's salvation by grace through faith. We are saved. We are made right by grace, getting something we didn't earn. Abram didn't earn any of these blessings. We didn't earn any of this righteousness, but because of our faith, we are saved. Because of our faith, we have righteousness counted to us. It's not about what Abram did or didn't do. It's about God. It's about believing and trusting in God's promise. And for Abram, he, pro he believed in a promise of something to come. He believed God, that God would take care of him. He believed God would be the God he says he is. For us, it's believing that God has already done what he promised. Believing and trusting that God's promise of salvation through the cross of Christ, that that happened, that that and that alone gives us a right relationship with God. We get to be on this side of history, get to look back and say, I believe, I trust God. I believe God when he says he sent one, he would send one to save us. He did. And I believe that his death saves me. His death takes care of me. His death on the cross pays the penalty for my sins in my place. You see, this blessing, these blessings that God gives to Abram and the blessings he gives us have nothing to do with us. These blessings that he gives to Abram are totally one-sided. And so to prove that, to make sure that Abram understands, Abram, this has nothing to do with who you are, but who I am. God makes a covenant with Abram. We talked a little bit about covenant last week. It's a binding, deep agreement. It has the same kind of connotations as, as a contract. It's deep and important and, and vital. And so what God does, he, 
wants to demonstrate to Abram. This is what's going to happen. And so as you read in chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, um, you see that God makes a plan for Abram. He makes a plan. He tells Abram, he says, I want you to go get some animals. Go get a couple of animals, and I want you to cut them in half. The way that you would solidify a covenant back then, right? For a contract, we just sign our names. Back then, it was a little grosser. They would take an animal, and they cut it in half. A couple of animals, actually. And they would basically make an aisle. And they would put one half of each animal on each side. And you got the blood and the guts and the gross. And what you would do is you would establish this covenant, establish this relationship. And then you would walk through the aisle of gross. And basically what you were doing was saying, if I don't keep my end of the bargain, if I don't keep my end of this agreement, let what happened to these animals happen to me. Let me end up like one of these animals, split in two. And so God says, I want you to go get some animals. I want you to line them up. And then look at verse 17. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt into the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So Abram takes these animals, cuts them up, makes the aisle. God puts Abram to sleep. God walks through. The pot and the torch represent God's presence there. And he goes through. He says, Abram, this isn't about you. You don't have to keep anything in this covenant. I do. I'm going to keep this covenant. I'm going to walk through this. This is not a covenant that is contingent on anything you can do, Abram. You can't bring anything to me that's going to earn more favor, that's going to earn your way to these blessings I have for you. This covenant is contingent on God and not what Abram could do for God. We are under a similar covenant today. One based not on what we can do for God, but what God has already done for us. See, Abram was not perfect. He was not anything special. He was a guy. And when things got hard, he feared, he doubted, he made poor decisions. I told you, he's a work in progress. He doesn't always trust God, and yet, because he had faith that God was going to be who he said he was, that God would do what he promised, it was counted to him as righteous. We aren't very different than Abram. We, as well, are works in progress, and we have the same opportunity presented to us today that Abram had back then to be seen as righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Because God has set up a covenant with us, one not based on us, but based on him, based on the life, death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus. And if today you believe that it is through his sacrifice that your sins are taken care of, that your sins are paid, and that you are now righteous, you are now justified, made right in the eyes of God, through that you now have entered into this covenant, not one not based on you. Thank the Lord it's not based on us. Because we're not good enough. I'm not good enough. But Jesus is. He's good enough. He's more than that. We are under a new covenant. 
Have you made that decision today? Have you entered into that covenant with God? Have you said, God, I believe. I know I need a Savior. I know I need help. Lord, I believe that it is through Jesus that I can have a right relationship with you. Have you made that decision today? Because that offer, that opportunity is still available. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. God, you are good. And you're good all the time.